0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, my friends, so welcome back to our um, introduction to Mindfulness Meditation Part 2 and uh, looking at the hindrances. And today we're going to look at the hindrance of desire, sensual desire. And um, and in order to kind of uh, begin into this uh, topic today, and anytime there's going to be some kind of practice opportunity like this, sometimes it's nice to just pause at the beginning to get uh, settled and connected. And this kind of uh, learning the art of, you know, 30-second settling, 60-second settling, is a very, very helpful. So what you might do is just uh, without changing your posture, just be the way you are, Um, close your eyes and then uh, do the three breath journey. Just count each breath three times, you know, one, two, three breaths. And just be with your breathing. And then, let's do that again. Do, uh, count three breaths, a three breath journey. But the end of each, as you exhale each time, relax your body, settle your body. And then a third time, the three breath journey, counting three breaths, this time as you exhale, can you soften, relax the thinking muscle? Let the mind become more settled, perhaps if you can, or rest the mind with each exhale. And then you can take one deep breath and when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So the first of the five hindrances is uh, is uh, usually translated as sensual desire. And it's useful just to step back and look at desire in general first. Desire is a uh, Central aspect of human life, and so much so, and such a big part of it that it's probably be fair to uh, call humans um, human—not human beings, but human desireling, desirelings uh, because we're always desiring. Desiring is part of life all the time, whether it's small or big, whether it's healthy or unhealthy desire. Uh, there's always some kind of desire. Even wanting to eat is a desire, Going, wanting to go to the bathroom is a desire, wanting to make yourself comfortable as you're sitting is a desire. So all these things that uh, drive us that move us, that inspire us, that help us make our way through our daily life and our, our whole life itself. So it's very important not to automatically make desire a problem, to think that desire is the problem that we have to overcome. There has to be some uh, discernment about <clears throat> desires, and to distinguish, uh, there's two sets, t- uh, two distinctions to be made. One is between those desires which are healthy, appropriate, and those desires which are unhealthy or unhelpful or not appropriate. And um, and to be have some wisdom about that distinction is very helpful. And the word appropriate is important because some, and this is the second distinction to be make, is, uh, uh, is between the appropriateness of a desire, the inappropri- inappropriateness. That is, some desires could be very healthy and appropriate in some situations, uh, but not in other situations. If we have a very busy, full life, uh, and then we would like to help you know, a neighbor with their shopping, uh, that seems like a noble and wonderful thing to do, but if we're already overstretched thin, and that's the the straw that breaks the camel's back to go do one more thing for one more person, then that desire to be helpful probably isn't appropriate at that moment. And we better take care of ourselves or do what we said we were going to do and finish that rather than take on a new thing. So there's lots of appropriate, very healthy desires, but the timing of them or the situation for them is not appropriate. Um. So we have to kind of distinguish. So we're not making all problems, all desires are a problem. A third distinction around desire are the desires that come up where there's no compulsion to act on them and those desires that come up where there is compulsion. And uh, compulsion uh, means that we're driven. There's a sense of uh, 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 urgency. There's a sense of I have to do this. Um, desperation even, uh, or very strong kind of energy that's driving us and even uh, sometimes against our own wisdom. In the extreme version, for example, is um, a form of desire is addiction. Very strong desire for food, alcohol, drugs, sex, all kinds of things that um, uh, being in relationship, getting approval from other people, um, being right, having, you know, insisting on our opinions, these things are very powerful for in people's psyche. And, um, and the sense of compulsion. And even healthy desires that are the object of desire, the purpose of the desire is, is good in and of itself, can come with sometimes with this compulsion where we're not really free. And sometimes because it's a healthy and appropriate desire, um, it's so easy to justify it, And not notice that we're not actually acting freely and free will with this. We're being driven and pushed into doing it. Sometimes in situations it's not appropriate. Um, And then there's desires that come up that there's no compulsion involved. There can be a lot of strength to it, a lot of clarity, and a lot of even kind of passion to it, like enthusiasm for it. But there's no drivenness. There's no like we have to do this or else um, we can just see, oh, there's uh, there's my desire. Uh, desires come a dime a dozen. They come and they go. And uh, there's no compulsion. But now that I sit with the desire and look at it, oh, it does seem like a good desire, I think. And if I look at the situation, it seems like the situation warrants it. It seems appropriate, this desire. And so let me act on it. And let me act on it with some being relaxed and not a bulldozer that pushes through and gets what I want for me. I'll just work on it in an easy way, nice way, and if it works out, great. But I'm not going to have a, a just you know. Some of the forms of compulsion have come have to do with expectation, or in, when there's a sense of need associated with a desire. Of course, we have needs, but the compulsion that can go along with need transforms need into neediness and this idea of desire and neediness, then we're not free. So to make these kinds of distinction, healthy and unhealthy desires, appropriate and inappropriate for the situation, and then is there compulsion or no compulsion? The idea of compulsion is fascinating because, uh, uh, or drivenness, or, or being glued to the desire, because that's something we can usually feel if you quiet your mind a little bit, just close your eyes. You you, you could maybe feel physically in the mind and in the, in the body that um, what it's like for that extra tension, pressure, reaching out, grabbing a hold, contracting. That comes along with contraction, with uh, with compulsion, and um, and to really feel the tension of that feel the contraction of that, uh, the pressure of it, is a game changer because then we begin to step away and see what's going on underneath it rather than uh, just kind of being pushed almost unconsciously sometimes by the compulsion. So that's, you know, so that's this you know, looking at desire in different ways and also I think it's important to have a lot of respect for desire. And as some of you know, I really like the word respect because um, it's not to dis- means not to dismiss anything or demean anything, but to see it with respect means to see it with, it's worth our attention, it's okay for it to be there in a certain kind of way. But also the word respect means um, to look again, to respect, like spectacle, to look again. And mindfulness practice has a lot to do with looking again. So not kind of automatically reacting, automatically coming conclusions, this is what it is, but having some pause to be able to say, What's, what is this really? Let me take a look at this. So to respect our desires. And then if we respect them and really be with them, we take just, know, first we just want to just get the general Picture, general sense of what's going on. And uh, sometimes it takes, uh, it's a big deal to admit how strong desire is or even what our desires are. Some desires a- operate kind of subconsciously that we don't really see. Uh, early in my practice, uh, one of the desires that I had that I didn't even know was operating was a desire to be liked by other people. Now, in and of itself, that's okay to have that desire, but um, to n- have a neediness and need everyone to like me was exhausting, and it was like the social gymnastics to try to figure out how I can make everyone like me, and uh, it's just not possible. It's not, you know, it's it's not really. It's just exhausting to do it, and um, and. uh and so, what I learned was eventually was that the cost of trying to be driven, this compulsion to be liked, was just too much work, and uh, and it wasn't worth it. It was actually counterproductive. And so, but I didn't see that. That was unconscious. It was under or subconscious. It was under the radar. So to see that and admit some of these deeper desires we have is something a huge learning, a huge grow, growth spurt to have this kind of honesty, oh, that's what's happening. I'm embarrassed to admit this, but oh, that kind of desire is what's operating. Sometimes desires are um, you know, take the form of addiction. And sometimes they're so strong, the addictions and the compulsion, that we really sometimes can't, very hard to resist them. And so there's a number of things to do before meditation if desires are really, really strong. Uh, sometimes... Um, you want to do something that really you know helps you break the intensity of it. Uh, it could be for some people maybe just walk around the block, uh, step away from a situation, get a fresh air, walk around the block. It could be uh, talk to a friend, call a friend, and just especially a friend who kind of represents, you know, something different than just going and getting your desire satisfied at all costs. If there's alcoholic addiction. Maybe you want to talk to um, a friend who's in recovery, not the friend who's still an addict. But you, know, you get some help and you know people support. The Buddha talked about that with desire. Sometimes you want to go find a good spiritual friend uh, to talk to and be with when there's really strong. Um, the other thing is um, do something that helps you relax. You know, some people can take a shower. Some people can take a nap. Some people, some you know, maybe eat. Uh, sometimes not having enough to drink or enough food um, can give a kind of compulsivity to the addictions and all that. For people who meditate, uh, when desires are really strong, a really, uh, I think, useful exercise, and also a very instructive exercise, is something that I call riding out the wave. And, um, And that is, as soon as you feel there's a strong addiction to something, no matter what it is, that you almost can't resist acting on it, go find a comfortable chair, sit in the chair, and have a unshakable commitment to not leaving the chair, to stay there and not act on the, on the impulse. And um, so it can be like the rodeo, it can be wild in there to sit there and not move. The lawyers of the mind come up and t- say why it's so important, this tremendous feeling like I'm going to die if I don't get it. It has to be now. It's, um, the very, very strong forces can arise when there's strong addictions, strong desires. And um, um, and uh, then to, uh, but not move. To sit there and maybe hold the, the arms of the chair and really insist on st- Because sooner or later, the wave will crest the intensity will pick up and pick up, wave will crest and you'll get to the other side and it'll diminish and get quieter. And the idea is to stay in the chair long enough until it crests and you find yourself on the other side of the wave. And I've known many people who followed this instructions and they've come back and said, uh, this was so empowering for me. I felt I developed so much confidence in my ability um, and I felt kind of kind of strength developed in me because It was really hard, I broke out in a sweat, but I just rode out the wave. And now when these things come, they're less powerful or I know what to do. So these are all things you can do independent of meditation because we respect them and respect the intensity of them. And sometimes sitting down in meditation maybe is not the time and place to really kind of work through some of the intensity of, of desire. The particular desire that the Buddha focused on as one of the hindrances is what 's called sensual desire, and the word for sensual is kama in the ancient language pali and uh, it also means it means sensual any any kind of sensual desire, desire for comfort, desire for pleasure, desires for sex, desire for good experiences like good food or anything. Um, And these can be very primal in human beings, and very intense, and also uh, very fundamental. And that's maybe why the Buddha emphasized them for meditation practice, because as the mind gets quieter, and desires for more abstract things uh, quiet down, and we're more and more in, in touch with our immediacy of our experience, our physical experience, then the 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 pleasure and discomfort, the desire for f- good feelings, good meditations, is one of the kind of last things that uh, are left or becomes more salient, more obvious. And so, um, and so to get a handle on or understand our desire for sensuality, for sense pleasures, for comfort, and I think for me uh, when I was a new meditator. Uh, I didn't think of myself as having many sensual desires. Um, But it doesn't take a lot of thinking about it to realize that it's really a desire which is often integrated deeply into many people's lives in ways that maybe, again, are subconscious. We don't really see it. So, uh, you know, uh, many people will spend money Buying something that the only difference between getting something which is practical and straightforward and the basic needs taken care of will spend more money to buy something that's more pleasant, more enjoyable that brings more sense of of uh, sensual pleasure uh maybe uh you know you could uh pick up, buy a relatively cheap used car to get around but you buy a nicer used car because it's just a pleasant experience to drive that car. Maybe you could buy some basic, simple food at the market, but you pay, spend a little bit more to buy something that's more pleasant. It's not wrong to do that, but, uh, and sometimes actually it's a good thing to do it. It's, it's a, it satisfies a sort something very deep inside of us to have some aesthetic or pleasure or something. It's the idea that it's always operating. And to what degree are we free to choose, and what degree are we being pushed into doing it, even without thinking about it, and just kind of automatic. So I was trying to say this uh, example about, this is to kind of convey the idea that sensual desire is a really common part of human experience in human life. It's so much so that the Buddha called the human realm uh, the realm of desire, the kama loka, the world of desire. <clears throat> so, um, the, um, so, the so um, the so how do we work with it? We sit in meditation. Uh, so this is where the bella that I talked about yesterday comes into play. So the first, this respect for desires, is to sit and become aware of um, of just the desires there. And to not make it a problem, not be critical or angry with it, not be embarrassed or ashamed of it, but just, oh, here's a desire, that's what's happening. To to have this respect for it. And to learn this, this letting it be is almost the same as being still. Maybe the B of Bella could also be be still with it. Be still means recognize it's there but don't act on it. And uh, certainly don't act with it physically if you're meditating but maybe just step back and look at it. That stepping back and taking a look at it can help you discern hopefully in a very simple relaxed way is it um healthy or unhealthy desire? Is it uh, appropriate to have this desire at this time? Inappropriate? Uh, Is is there compulsion with it or no compulsion? There can be a desire, for example, if the knees hurt when you're meditating, a desire for have the knees be more comfortable. Uh, Is that appropriate, is that healthy or not healthy? Um, it depends a little bit on what motivates you. Uh, if it's healthy, is it appropriate to do it? It may or may not be. If you've been uh, moving and adjusting yourself every 10 seconds, uh, maybe it'd be not appropriate to do so much of it. Maybe it's appropriate to just see what's going on in some deeper way. And um, is there compulsion connected to it? You feel, I've had knee pain and just really felt driven. I had to change. And what was interesting for me was to then look at the compulsion and relax that. And then I actually had more wisdom about whether to move my knee or not. Sometimes I would and sometimes I wouldn't. Um, And then um, we have, uh, so just be still with it. And it's such a powerful thing, no matter what happens, what comes up, uh, what's happening around us, to have this respect, be still. It's a kind of independence from it, not being entangled. Then uh, investigate it. Look what's there. Uh, what it, you know, this is also part of these discernments I talked about. But some of the things to investigate is, uh, maybe I'll mention just one for now. And that is, when there's a desire, this is true for aversion as well, there's usually an object of the desire, something that we want, we think about or fantasizing about or something. One way to examine desire is to turn the attention around 180 degrees and look at Uh, what it feels like, the subjective experience of having desire or the subjective experience of having aversion. Turning around and look at it. And um, at that point, we're we're no longer focused on the desire, but we are respecting the desiring, the act of desiring, and really looking at that. And then looking, where is it, where is it in the body what are the physical sensations that come into play with it? What are the contractions? Is there a sense of compulsivity? Really, and then to hold all that gently in awareness, to watch and see and watch the pull and, pull and push, the being for or against, and just be and breathe and be and feel what's going on, and get to know it better. And in that examining, starting to become free. And then if the desire is strong, Uh, then we want to lessen the intensity of it. And that's why it's helpful to do this 180 degree around to really feel what's here rather than being blinded by the object of desire. Because then we might be able to see we can lessen it by relaxing the shoulders, the belly, the face, the eyes, the jaws. Maybe we can soften in the mind as well. And at some point, it might be possible to let go of the desire. Let go of, often desires come with thoughts, as so we let go of the thoughts or let go of the desire. Sometimes it's quite difficult to do that, but at some point it might be easy enough, just let go of it. And then as the desires lessen, or if they do stop or let go of, then appreciate that what, how nice it is not to be caught in the grip of these things, the compulsivity of it. Appreciate the peace, the quiet, the subtleness, maybe even the contentment of just being when desires are not pushing us along, and then it could be easier to come back to the breath and meditation and sit and practice. So um, we could then um, maybe try do a meditation session, and um, if you could uh, take a comfortable upright sitting posture, and um, and then uh, you can gently, take a few long, slow, deep breaths, breathing in, breathing out. And then let your breathing return to normal. And look around your body to see if there's anything that you can relax and soften. And to spend a few moments now breathing in a normal way, for a few moments perhaps trusting the body's experience of breathing. Even if it's uncomfortable in any kind of way, almost like you give breathing the benefit of doubt to trust being with it. a being with the body breathing. And maybe each time you exhale to let your thinking muscle relax, letting go of your thoughts, quieting your thinking mind. And then as you're sitting here, notice if there's any desire happening, anything anything in your thinking or in your heart or in your being, any impulse that would be a wanting of something And then can you offer it some respect in the sense of letting it be or letting yourself be still and just observe it, just know it's there, including knowing if there's any compulsivity. Is it there in a light, easy way or is it strong? And if there is a wanting or a desire, no matter how small or big, weak or strong, see if you can do that turn, 180 degree turn, rather than focusing on what you're wanting, to feeling the subjective experience of wanting, of desiring, What's that like for you in your body, in your heart, your mind, to have a desire And then if there's any easy way, simple way, to relax and lessen the strength of the desire. Maybe relaxing at all on the exhale. or letting go of the desire. And if a desire has lessened or disappeared, is there something you can appreciate about that? Appreciate its absence? Appreciate maybe some nice feeling that replaces it. And then returning to being aware of your breathing. and staying with your breath quietly for a few minutes. But if you find yourself distracted or challenged to be with your breathing, notice if there's any desire as part of that challenge. Is it you want something that's, that's the distraction? And if there is, then see if you can go through Bella, Be, explore, lesson, let go and appreciate around this desire that has arisen. If there is some strong desire, or you just keep getting distracted by desire, see if you can move away from the object of desire, thinking about it, to feeling the subjective experience. If there is no strong desire, compulsive desire, Maybe you can take a little bit of time to appreciate the absence of that. Appreciate the mind which is not caught up in desire. that's able to kind of maybe be content with just this moment of experience, just with breathing. If there's a strong desire, it, as we look at the desire, the desire ring, you might also notice if there's an underlying emotion to it that may be fueling it, supporting it. And if there is, you can do mindfulness of emotion. if you're mindful of the underlying emotion, what happens to the desire? And then, in the last couple of minutes of this meditation, if it's at all if it's, it's at all possible, see if you can sit with a contentment that needs nothing more than the wish to rest with your breathing. Nothing more wishes, nothing more than being present to the experience of the moment. Maybe resting with it, resting with breathing, contently. And then to end this sitting, you can take a few long, slow, deep breaths. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Giving these instructions today, I'm uh, aware that when we give mindfulness instructions, vipassana instructions, sometimes there's a lot of instructions, almost too much, and it can lend itself to the idea: there's a lot to do, and you have to be busy, and do all these things, keep all this stuff in mind, and um, and hopefully that's not the results of giving these instructions. Um, what we're trying to do in vipassana practice, mindfulness practice, is to start to become wise about how our minds and hearts work so we can navigate with it and find a way to uh, be free, to be at ease, to find peace, and not be so busy, not be so compulsively active in doing and searching. And so what the things I teach is more like the landscape of where we're getting, becoming wise over time. Uh, it's not the instruction to be busy. Now in terms of desire, there's an interesting kind of thing to be aware of, and that is there can be any of these hindrances, but let's just keep focusing on desire. Uh, there can be a secondary desire in relationship to having a desire. There can be a desire that arises, and then there can be a strong desire for it to go away. A strong desire for some other experience. A strong desire to be involved with the desire. I've known people who've had fa- fantasies and uh, fantasies are often desire fantasies. Not always, but often they've had fantasies and, um, and then they felt, you know, I've had a hard day. I deserve to fantasize for a while. So there's this desire for the desire, for the fantasy, or there could be um, a, you know a desire not to have it, uh, there could be kind of an aversion, there could be um, desire for more of it, more of that desire, because part of the reason desire, especially fantasy desires, can pull us into their orbit is because they can come along with a feeling of pleasantness, the promise of something pleasant or the pleasantness of the promise of something wonderful happening or just the imagination of great things can um can kind of make physically start feeling pleasant and relaxed and warm and so we get seduced sometimes by the pleasure and so the desire you know maybe it's sexual desire or desires for food or desires of grandeur or something and um And then we find ourselves wanting more of the good feeling that can come from having those fantasies. So sometimes step back and say, is there any secondary desire, underlying desire for it? All in good time, the idea of being still, letting it be is such an important part of this mind vipassana practice because we don't want to be in a hurry to fix anything. Don't We be, don't, be, don't want to be in a hurry to do the technique and somehow overcome things and make it different. We really want to, it's really powerful to learn to just sit, be still, not being for something, not being against it, not being involved, but also not pushing it away, just being with it and seeing it clearly. And then we can begin the examination. And one very hopefully simple way to to go through the examination, is to go through the instructions I gave for the introduction to mindfulness meditation, part one, which was, uh, uh, there's basically four domains of, of area of our experience that are useful to tune into. There's our breathing, the body's experience, the emotion, and the cognitive thinking parts of it. So if there's a lot of desire going on, you can go through that checklist. How's this affecting the breathing? The breathing gotten tight? If it's really a lot of desire, the breathing's maybe gotten contracted and tight and shallow. If, um, uh, how is it in the body? The body's contracted, it's getting warm, or it's very pleasant, these sensual desires that the fantasies I'm having. Wow, this is really warm and nice, and boy, am I addicted to this good feeling. Uh, what's going on with um, uh, uh, with emo- emotions? There might be an underlying emotion. Maybe fear is driving the desire. Maybe a feeling of lack or loneliness or some discomfort we're trying to get away from. And, uh, and then also what's going on in the mind? What's going on with the thoughts? Are there certain beliefs operating that are very strong? Uh, are there certain... Um, you know, fantasies that are operating or images that are operating that's really fueling and keeping this going. Again, not to be busy, but kind of take your time. Be slow in being mindful. I like to think of mindfulness as going at the speed of trust, going at the speed of love even. Or just take your time. And just the the speed of mindfulness, the speed of staying present and aware of what's here. Operate on this at the speed of awareness, speed of recognition. Oh, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. So desire is an important part of human life. Uh, We're not trying to problematize it or be critical automatically of desire. We're trying to become wise about desire. And as we become wise to navigate the world of desire so the desires don't take away our capacity to be centered, to be at peace, to be at ease, and to be wise about these desires that we have, so we have about five minutes before the ten thirty ending, and I did take some questions before we started at ten o'clock, and it uh, someone asked it was recorded for YouTube, and so we'll keep it in the recording. It was not recorded for audio Dharma. But uh, if you would like to uh, maybe ask one or two questions, we have time now in the last five minutes. Um, I'm happy to try to answer some more. And hopefully I didn't miss a question that was earlier. It's too hard for me to go back up in the chat box to find it. So. Kind of fun to uh, have this very interesting relationship with, um, you know, with uh, you in this format, and to share something that's very important for me. I really want the quarantine to go away. Big desire. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have that desire, and the question—it's a reasonable desire to have. It could even be appropriate. But can we um, can we not have that big desire take over or make us do unwise things and learn to find our peace with that desire and maybe it, maybe just the intensity needs to lessen so I'm not so big and, and we recover we we recover something important about ourselves when desire is not in the forefront. Um, grief is a big hindrance for me, um, the clinging and not being able to let go. What is a good way to approach this? Um so I think that uh, um, grief is a powerful emotion. Uh, there's uh, appropriate grief. There's actually healthy grief. And there's ways of grieving which are not so healthy. Um, and so part of this discernment of mindfulness is over time to learn the difference between a kind of healthy and not so healthy ways of desiring, grieving, and all that. And one thing about grief is not to collapse into it and not to have self-pity but to, this is why meditation is a wonderful kind of laboratory for discovering a different way of grieving, is to sit in upright and like this riding out the wave can be done very respectfully for grief. Allow the waves of grief to come, but don't collapse into it or don't make conclusions on it or don't build up a sense of self or self-pity or just kind of trust it and ride out the wave. And this washing it through and and, and you know, and keeping the posture upright rather than collapsing or pulling back. It's a very powerful thing and allows the waves to wash through. And then it's also possible to do bella with grief. Uh, and I like the quarantine. Yes, some people do and some people don't. Some people. Um, and I also find it hard to let go of grief. Yeah, maybe gr- sometimes grief should not be let go of quickly. Uh, grief is a... Sometimes grief is the natural inner process of the heart to work through something. And I'm not saying it's true for those of you who made comments here, but sometimes uh, we have uh, many people in our society have this idea that if you're uncomfortable or grief is strong, you're not supposed to be grieving. Or people, unfortunately, will come and say, imply that you should be over it by now. But this it's very powerful, very healthy and wise to allow your grief to arise in meditation. There's something purifying, and it allows the inner process, the healing process of the mind, to have good grief, to have healthy grieving. And it might actually be a very important part of the learning and the growing and the developing of our life and respecting what it is we've lost. So I'm not one to kind of be quick to overcome grief. Give it its time, let it be. Um, Can desiring So I apologize, I'm not seeing these in order. Can desiring dhamma and helping others be an addiction, to what extent is an addiction? Great question. Yes. Uh, Too much dharma, too much Buddhism can be, you know, wanting it too much. It can be a desperation. It can be holding on tight. Um, It can be all kinds of reasons why people get attached to it. They want to be right. They want to be holding on to the truth. They have. They want. To, they're attached to hope that their uh, Buddhism is going to give all kinds of things. Want to. Do, they want to do it right. They want to be successful. They want to be the next great Buddhist teacher. And so there, there's a lot of intensity there, and um, and helping others. Same thing. There can be a lot of different ideas where there's a addict, addicted 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 to helping other people. All these things can be respected. All these things we can stop, uh, be still, look at them, respect them, and begin to kind of see more fully what's going on. To do the 180 degree turn and look at what it's like to be desiring. Look at the feelings of clinging might be there, compulsion. This idea of no longer looking at the object of desire, the thing that we want, but really, turning in, what's the impact it has on us? What's it like to have these desires and this compulsion and clinging? There's a lot of wisdom and freedom that can be found by no longer being fixated on the object of desire. So I appreciate these questions very much, and um, and hopefully we'll have more chance. And hopefully, even just answering a few of them is useful for many people. And. Uh, I really uh, value a lot uh, that you're doing this uh, class and you're part of all this and you're interested in um, working on these very important and deep and difficult human energies that we have. And um, so we'll go on tomorrow and the plan tomorrow is to talk about the second hindrance, ill will or aversion. And um, in the meantime, I hope that these next 23 hours, if you want to make a particular study of how desire works in your life and have conversations with friends about what you've learned about how desire works in your life and the different aspects of it and look for different ways that it operates throughout the day and um, you know, in subtle ways, small ways, big ways, and just learn. Uh, read the Dharma book of your own inner life. Thank you very much.